Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. And with today's episode, we're teaming with PRC. This podcast is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. Hello there, Healthcare Experience Matters listeners. Joining us again today is Dr. Deborah Zastaki. She is a coach with us here at the Healthcare Experience Foundation, and we are excited to have her join us for the second time. Deborah, for people that may have missed our first episode together, please just give us a refresher on your professional background. Great. And I really appreciate the opportunity, Casey, to talk with you again. And to reiterate, I'm very proud to be associated on the Healthcare Foundation uh, with such professionals who are sharing a commitment to supporting and creating improvements in workforce engagement, patient engagement, and health system improvement. So it's such a nice shared community. So in my over 40 years of healthcare experience, I reflect upon it as lifelong learning. I began as a clinical nursing person in acute care, and then eventually progressed through staff development and adjunct faculty in nursing faculty. Then my career transitioned into hospital leadership and then to being in acute care, but also with physician practices and community service lines. And then my roles eventually evolved to being a senior vice president, chief operating officer and president of my organization and and CEO for 11 years. We eventually joined a health system. And at that point in time, I became not only just the president, but also a system health executive. Uh, Over time, I was certified as a Wharton Fellow, a certified healthcare executive from the American College of Healthcare Executives board certified in advanced nursing leadership. I've co-authored two books, published um, numerous professional journal articles, authored professional continuing education articles, and I'm a health and wellness coach as well as an executive coach. Deborah, tell us about what drives your passion for this type of work. People and relationships and being able to make a difference are the things that really motivate and drive me. Uh, I've been privileged to nurture so many professionals, uh, certainly in careers, you know, early professionals, and not just in healthcare, but in many different areas and help to get them connected with others who might be mentors for them. Certainly, I've been a mentor for many of them. But it's more than that. It's being involved with staff, their families, their life issues, work. Uh, I've had uh, people from environmental services, their grandkids coming in to see me about whether they should get a job in healthcare and what would it involve and that type of thing. So it's all of that little behind the scenes, making differences in communications with people. But I'm also equally proud that some of the people that worked with me, um, I've mentored them successfully, and now they're presidents of their own organizations. So that, to me, is really exciting. And I always think about it as being one who creates an environment 
so that conversations can occur. And then there are processes that you can help people go through where either the person or the organization is able to move toward goals in a fulfilling way. And to me, that's kind of what gives me a great deal of passion. And I have to say the best part of my day as in healthcare was always being with the staff and patients and providers and physicians. So, you know, if it was kind of a crazy day, I'd go down to the emergency room and put warm blankets on people. It's it's just the little things that really make a difference in life. Uh, I'd like, though, to begin as we talk about this conversation with a, a just a tiny reflective exercise. And I'd like to ask our listeners to just think about a time when you, they felt in very motivated. What did it feel like? What were those around you experiencing, feeling like doing? What led up to this sense of motivation? What was going on? And uh, what were the conditions that were occurring at the time of the motivation, you know, really connecting back and reflecting on those kind of situations, because I think that gives you a very good insight into the whole world of motivation and uh, how that feels and how it occurs. And then you might also consider a time when you felt like you were a part of helping to create a motivating environment and inspiring others for motivation. You know, what did you do? What did you say? What was going on? What kind of environmental supports did you put into place for people to feel engaged and motivated? So it's it's a great way to kind of get your head into the context of what we're going to talk about today. I love that. And I just want to start off kind of the second piece of our conversation here by asking you, you know, why is it so important to keep staff motivated these days? Staff motivation is really essential for an effective functioning of our health system. Uh, a current <clears throat> survey, excuse me, by healthcare leaders identified that 85% of the healthcare systems were experiencing allied healthcare workforce shortages. So not just nurses, doctors, providers, all healthcare workers. And that was pretty significant data too. And this is a recent study. I And I thought, oh, I was so struck by that. And what that message really reinforces to us is that retention of staff is critical. When you have staff turnover, think about the cascade of events that occur. The person leaves, so then there's a loss, not just their physical presence, but you know, team members feel a loss of the person who's gone, so you've lost part of your support group. Um, then somehow the work has to be done that that person was doing. So does that mean moving somebody from another work area, hiring a temporary person, having people do overtime, working extra, whatever, but there's disruption there. And then you have to go advertise, hire the person, go through the whole pre-employment physical and orientation, and then you've got to orient them to the unit. And then you've got to get them to be introduced to their teammates 
and to develop a working relationship there. So you can easily see how this can cost organizations hundreds of thousands of dollars, lead to decreased morale of the staff, certainly decreased productivity, and most important, the whole notion of patient safety and staff safety because all the processes are disrupted. So staff retention is really pivotal in this. And then when you think about staff retention, the next logical thing is staff engagement. How do we keep staff willing to put in the extra effort to do those little things because they are so committed to the organization, right? So we, you know, that's kind of a part of it. Then another part is the safety component that I just touched on. Teamwork and communication have to be top priorities for patient and staff safety and all of the things that we do in terms of workplace engagement and uh, involvement. And then, you know, speaking of workplace, how do you help staff with the life-work balance? Is there joy to be had at work? Can you create ways of being at work where people feel joyful? And especially in healthcare and particularly post-pandemic, so many people were just so stressed, which I'll speak about in a little bit. But in healthcare, we give so much to others. And so the workforce needs to feel like they are cared for and cared about as part of this whole piece. And I'm just trying to paint this big collage of a picture. Another component really is this whole notion of adaptability and agility. We have to think about if staff are motivated, are they willing to approach work and life from a place of curiosity? Are they willing to go beyond their comfort zone? How do they kind of have a worldview of coming in and performing the work that's meaningful to them? And then in order for that to happen and reach our goals and really create a new healthcare delivery system, all of those things require that building relationships and trust and helping people feel safe to psychologically safe to be able to contribute. So do you do you get a sense of how multifaceted this whole notion of motivation, staff involvement can really be so very intertwined? Yeah, definitely. And I want to move on to talking about some of the more difficult hurdles to overcome when it comes to keeping our staffs motivated. Did you want to touch on that? Sure. And there are many of them. I think we can all relate to the notion that the turbulence, the uncertainty, the frequency of change all leads to anxiety. Just the rate of change in and of itself can be anxiety provoking. And it seems like people can never feel settled or comfortable because you always feel like something else is changing. And so there's a sense of feeling off balance and like a hesitancy of let me just kind of sit back and watch or wait for a little bit. And the rapid change we witness as a result of the pandemic with roles and responsibilities changing, places where you did your work changed, and really literally overnight. And I, I think that staff felt like they were in roles and situations where they've never been before. They were, it was not known, it was not comfortable. 
And this occurred, this crisis mode event occurred for a prolonged period of time. So it really began to have staff kind of, again, a little off balance. And then going back to the teamwork part, you know, our teams are where we support, they're our support group. We support one another. So imagine if you're changing where people are working, changing the people who are coming into the work environment, you know, the whole caring about each other and supporting one another, that whole process gets disrupted. And that can lead to people feeling lost isolated. And at times with all this fast paced activity, people feeling like I just need to do what I need to do and get on with it. And that's really the opposite of motivation. It's just trying to do what you need to do to get through. And then on top of that, the leadership component has another significant aspect because leadership and presence, like consistent messaging, helping people to adapt, creating personal connections with the staff, that can all be disrupted in these types of turbulent times. And think about this, if you're a staff or a provider, you may not feel seen or heard or even recognize for what you're doing. And that's such a fundamental need for us as individuals, as people. So that these are these environmental things are very, very significant hurdles. And then I, I think about whatever the relationship was in the organization before, because leaders are the same as staff and providers. They're distracted by what's going on as well. So if they so they lost that connection possibly with the staff and the connection was good before the staff can then feel that as a true loss because wow I don't see that and feel that anymore if it wasn't good before the staff really might feel even more disconnected and isolated so I want to talk a little bit and a bit about strategies but this part about the staff engagement is really really important and again, of course, we know change is a source of stress. And what I've just talked about can also lead to uh, fatigue, burnout, feeling like you're not psychologically intact or safe. So there's a, a whole ripple of effects that can go on. Now, let's talk about the role of strong communication. How can that support an atmosphere um, that we're talking about, a safe atmosphere um, and one where you know, cl clinicians can thrive? Yes, consistent communication with a consistent message by everyone in the organization, but especially by leaders, is a fundamental component. And there are ways that you, we can do that, and I'll suggest some of them in a bit. But even something as simple as this is what we're facing, this is where we are right now, and this is where we need to go. And I'm not speaking about the five-year strategic plan. I'm speaking about helping staff understand what are their roles, what's happening right now, and how can they be part of the solution? Being very transparent, offering a clear understanding of what is happening and how can we get everyone focused on the purpose, our priorities, and how we can involve the staff in these necessary actions and also recognizing their contributions. 
And as I said before, people want to be heard and known and uh, appreciated for what they do. And it doesn't matter what their roles are. I've had staff from environmental services share with me things that I thought, my goodness, if I didn't know this, it had the potential to either be a problem for the organization or a safety risk. But Aside from the value of the information that I received, it was even more pivotal that they had the conversation with me, that we had the connection. So the next time around, they're motivated to tell me things. We, you know, it's now we've got that relationship. And that's part of what people begin to see as a way of creating a a motivated environment. Actions, though, I think we can take are very important. You know, senior leader rounding with that clear messaging. And uh, I'll talk about the two-way communication in a moment. But that's very important. And really daily huddles, you know, in your work environment. How can you get people together working on understanding, even if it's for just 10 minutes, here's what's the plan, this is what we're doing, anything we need to know, let's talk about that now. And it provides a great opportunity for these shout outs to people recognizing their contribution, maybe great success story. But even more importantly, these huddles, if you can create an environment where the staff come on a regular basis, and just talk about an experience they had, an impactful experience. Maybe it's something that they're really proud of. Maybe it's something they really were felt challenged about. But having that vulnerability and then having the support from their coworkers, their teammates, to say, yeah, wow, that must have been difficult. It really creates that world of, oh, we're caring and listening to one another. And then if you can create stories, because stories are very powerful cultural tools of, you know, wow, imagine a time when Casey encountered this and he thought this way and what a great result it had for the patient and the provider and we're so proud of that initiative. Well, that story gets told and told and told. And these are the narratives that can help to support motivating behaviors and other stories because people say, yeah, you know what? I feel good. You know, this is why I work here and this is what we can do when we work together. And it's these little things. It's not the big thing. It's these little things that begin to create the environment and the culture. And as I said, respectful communication is a two-way process. Imparting information is just one part of it. An equally important part of it is active listening. And to me, you know, what are the ideas and concerns of others? What's working well? What's not working well? Asking, what do I need to know? What is it that I'm not aware of? If you were in my position, what would you want me to know? Or what would you want to know? And there's a term that I uh, received from one of the Wharton professors, and it was called seducing the leader. And seducing the leader is leaders frequently, unknowingly, really reinforce receiving good information, positive information. That is what they want to hear. So people feel good when they communicate that. But equally important is receiving information that might be contrary to what 
you think is going on, or it might be like, oh, I, uh, oh, that that can't be. Well, maybe it can be. And by offering that opportunity for people to express that, it gives the leader a chance to not only establish that relationship with the person because they felt feel like they've been heard and they've got information, but it provides the basis for proper safety, all the patient safety literature about communication. And it helps the organization not go down a path that is not supportive of where they need to go. And as part of that, too, it's so important to go back and make sure it's very visible about what does one do with the information one receives. So if you've told me this is a problem, what am I doing about it? But it's not just me doing something about it in the background. It's going back to everybody. Yes, somebody suggested that this was an issue. We've looked at it and uh, we've modified or we haven't modified, but we appreciate that feedback. And that can be done, again, senior leader rounding, daily huddles, staff meeting, they have recognition boards. Uh, in my organization, we used to have the uh, great idea recognitions for people where staff could nominate others. And I mean, I would make this theme very, very visible to everyone when I was rounding on all of the areas in the hospital, every department. Tell me what, if you were in my role, what would you want me to do? What would you find helpful? What is the one or two things that could make your work be more effective? And people really then embraced that, and that became part of our culture. And I think that motivational environment is really based on this relationship and communication. I'm going to ask this bluntly, and... Um... <laughs> might be not so simple, but uh, is it safe to say that a motivated and engaged workforce will provide better care? I believe they will, uh, particularly over the long term, because if you think about that they are motivated and engaged, you're going to have improved retention, improved teamwork and communication, Staff will be willing to extend themselves in these discretionary efforts, do the little extra things. They'll communicate with the leaders and hopefully get things that need to be said being said. And I think most importantly, motivated staff, I believe, are more willing to be to adapt, to be agile, to act in ways to help create new healthcare delivery systems, which we know is going to be the nature of the world we live in. And they, they're more involved in really embracing the shared purpose and priorities that we have in healthcare and in particular their, their work environment. Now let's move on to final thoughts. And I'll just ask you, you know the drill by now. Do you have anything else to add to the conversation before we wrap it up? I would say we probably should reframe the question and not ask about how to motivate others. Instead, I hope as a result of today's conversation that you can understand we really should be asking more of how can we create the conditions within which others will motivate themselves. 
And so it's like our role as a leader is being a creative farmer for enriching the environment so people can grow and connect. And it's that connection and interspersed ideas that make a difference. That's how creativity is inspired. It's not like talking to the same two people all the time. You talk to five different people, you get different perspectives, you embrace the diversity and people feel like they can be heard and speak and then things move on. So I believe our role is really to help staff in their work and personal lives to become agile and adaptable and to become comfortable with this way of being that there is change and we are really growing living organisms and we need to grow and adapt and stay connected with people. Ladies and gentlemen, you've had the pleasure of listening to Deborah Zastaki again on the Healthcare Experience Matters podcast this week, talking about motivating a staff of busy clinicians. Thank you again for your time. This was a great discussion. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it and always happy to help create better healthcare experiences. Outstanding. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation with today's episode teaming with PRC. To learn more, visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.